the time has come for us to live our beliefs instead of searching for more beliefs to live. We already know enough. In this very town, we have Piravalai, we have Yogi Bhajan just outside. We've got Gene Biggs, we have Carol Bell Knight. Just living here, these people. We've got the Zen Buddhists. We've got the Christian Scientists, the little Christian Science Church over there. We've got Father Salazar living here. I'm leaving many people out. In the bookstores, we've got the writings of Joel Goldsmith. We've got the writings of Krishnamurti. We've got all the sacred scriptures. And most of you have been exposed to most of this. The time has come for us to live our beliefs instead of seeking once again more beliefs to live. We already know enough. What do we know? Isn't it clear that all these people are saying the same thing? They say it quite differently. The symbols are quite different. It doesn't make any difference whether it's Ramdas or the Full Gospel Businessmen's Association. If you, if you part the symbols, you will hear the same truth. And what is everyone saying? I'll put it in the words that we use here at the Dispensable Church. Go in peace. Remain in the present. Love and laugh together. Say that. Let's say that together. Go in peace. Remain in the present. Love and laugh together. It's so simple. The truth is so simple. But the time must come in which we decide to live it. To take what we already know. Because it, there's not much to it. There's, there's a million ways of saying it. But the truth is so simple. We just love and forgive each other. Which is another way of saying we just decide to be happy. Because who can be happy when holding a grudge, a grievance? When hating, when resenting? So we just decide that we'll be nice to each other, that we won't hurt each other. And that's when we start moving forward. Just that simple decision to be at peace now, to love each other now, to be happy now, to have not a care in the world now. The time has come for us to, to live that, to not seek more and more ways of saying it. <laughs> If you were to sit down with Carol Bell Knight or Ram Dass or Father Salazar or Pierre Vallai or Yogi Bhajan or a hundred other people just in this city, they could very quickly make themselves dispensable. They could turn you to God 
Each would use a different context. You'd have to take their vocabulary, forget the other vocabulary, take their symbols because some of these people are using the same words in different ways. Krishnamurti uses the word God in almost exactly opposite way that Course in Miracles uses the word God. But he's saying exactly the same thing. If you were to just sit down with any of these books of truth, and there are hundreds now in the stores, hundreds, so beautiful they make you weep. We have the tools, we know enough. And so as we think about these somewhat charged subjects this morning, let's remember that. We all know this. Together we will sit down and listen to the truth in regard to these subjects that are important to many of us. Now one of the things that happens in a meeting like this is that many people come to hear things that relate to the circumstances within their own life. And that's quite normal. But of course there's no way to bring up every circumstance that each person finds himself in. But if you'll listen to the truth behind the example, then you won't find your mind clicking off and say, oh, that doesn't apply to me because he's talking about such and such and I have just the opposite going on in my life. So the example just illustrates the simple truth that there is a way to be at peace, there is a way to love each other, and there's a way to move beyond any problem gently and finally. So let's first of all talk about special love versus great love. Special love versus great love. That's not difficult. We've talked about flipping through the channels on a TV set, just watching each program for just a few seconds. How easy it is to see which programs are appealing to the ego and which ones are appealing to the heart. That does not mean you shouldn't watch the ones that are appealing to the ego. However, you will eventually find that you don't have that sort of loss of energy and slight depression. Eventually, you'll find that you'll want to seek out the activities within this world that appeal to your heart, that appeal not to vengeance and anger, justified hatred and so forth, but appeal to the potential, the strength within you that can make you so happy. But if there's any sense of sacrifice, do not change your behavior because you suspect one day this change of behavior will occur naturally. If it does not occur naturally, then there'll be this sense of sacrifice and your ego could take over and you could find yourself turning away from a spiritual path for a while because you think it involves some form of suffering and giving up things. And of course it doesn't. But it's so simple to see what appeals to our heart and what appeals to our ego. And that's all we're talking about when we talk about a special relationship, a special love, or as A Course in Miracles says, a holy relationship, or a great love. Now just think about the relationships that you are aware of now. Just let them come to your mind and just look at how the couples 
relate. How the two people relate to each other. Most of the people that we know have not begun to form a great love between each other. They are they have formed an alliance of convenience in which each person can pursue what he selfishly, selfishly meanings pertaining only to his ego, wishes to pursue. And it's amazing how long a relationship can last that's on that basis. So let's say you have someone who's a potter and you have someone who's a painter. Now, first thing that usually happens is that the, that the art is above the relationship. The art must be pursued. I must have my own time. I must have my own space. My art requires that I devote all my evenings to throwing pots. <laughs> None of that messing around. Can't mess around at night. Gotta throw pots. <laughs> we know that, don't we? We've seen that so often. The great novel is being written. No. What do you mean, go for a walk in the Arroyo? The great novel is being written. You see. A great love. What is a great love? It's so simple. A great love. The two people seek each other's happiness first. So simple. Who has not said that? Of all the great teachers that have come to this earth, which one did not say that? Put your sister, put your brother's happiness first. A great love. And in doing that, you have a beginning. You have a starting place. To learn the very simple principle that to give is to receive. Very few people believe that even this much, that to give is to receive. But it's true. But we've got to begin. We've got to take a leap in faith and say, maybe it's true. I don't think it's true. I don't see the evidence of it, but maybe it's true. I will give to my partner. I will give and 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 I will give happily and I will give without sacrifice. I will give easily and continually and I'll have no thought of time limits or reciprocity. I'll just give and I'll give and I'll give and I'll see if it comes back tenfold, a hundredfold. Who has not said it does not that it comes back tenfold, a hundredfold if you give? Everyone that I've mentioned says it. Every book that I've mentioned says it. It's in the I Ching. Shankara said it. Lao Tse said it. Ah, but I don't have anyone that I can give to. The person I'm living with is the way John Huntress used to be. (laughs) 
Not true. I've known John a long time. <laughs> so, when someone begins a spiritual path, very often there's this war that begins my partner, my mate, the person I'm living with, doesn't talk spiritual. Ladies and gentlemen, in order to make spiritual progress, you don't have to name your child Granola. (laughs) Children don't speak spiritual. Children don't go to church with us. Children don't read A Course in Miracles. We love them. We don't ask that they do that. Although there's such marvelous teachers that every once in a while we, we probably do sneak in a little question to see if they will talk spiritual to us. Gail and I did this the other day. We were driving along in the car and we asked John, what happens after you die, John? And John said, you're swept up by the cleats of the street cleaner. <laughs> You're waiting for these pearls of wisdom. You know. <laughs> if you have not left the person you are with, then don't fight this battle anymore. If it were more peaceful for you to have left that relationship, you probably would have already left it. We don't need to counsel people to leave the person that they are with. How do we know that it would truly make this person more peaceful to leave the individual that they're with? How do we know that they wouldn't feel very guilty about this? How do we know what feelings of loyalty they have to this person? Maybe they would feel like they're, they're, they're betraying very deeply. It's no coincidence that, that the statistics across the country on battered women vary from between about 60% to 90% of all women who go into a safe house return to the same relationship, 60 to 90%. 75 to 80 is about the average. Almost all of these women were advised to leave the relationship. Obviously, that alone, that in and of itself, doesn't solve the problem. <clears throat> so when people come to you and say, what should I do? Give them peace. Give them relief. Don't put them into a battle. If they have made the decision to leave, support that and give them peace. If they have made the decision... But lots of people like to talk about this endlessly for years and years and years. And that's okay, too. Just realize, well, they like to talk about leaving so-and-so. And and so you just talk with them. You can sense that. They haven't really come to a decision, but they do think this is a lot of fun to have this fantasy, you see. But as long as we have a fantasy like that, we are in a rut. We're stalled. And that's okay. 
But you don't have to be stalled. You can put this argument behind you. You can sit quietly and ask yourself, is it more peaceful for me to leave or to stay now, today, not tomorrow? Is it more peaceful for me to stay today? Then let today be forever. Put that question behind you. How can you walk toward God if you are wondering whether or not you should leave the very person you are with? How can there be compassion? How can there be love? How can there be trust? Of course there can't be. Now if you find yourself in a relationship in which your partner isn't speaking spiritual and your partner won't go to the meeting, <laughs> here's some things that you might do. The first, of course, is you turn to God anyway doesn't matter whether the person appears to be turning to God. You see, this is the thing. We, is there any doubt that little children are walking toward God? Little children don't study uh, spiritual stuff. But they're walking toward God. It's possible to walk toward God and not talk spiritual. And not go to the meeting. And to drink beer and watch football games. <laughs> it's really possible to do that. So you turn to God anyway. And then you take another leap in faith. And that one is, I participate in anything that disturbs me. I wonder if you'd say that shocking statement with me. I participate in anything that disturbs me. This is obviously not readily apparent. But your progress will be so quick if you will go ahead and assume that. Who has not said that who has come to this earth? So what do you do if you're in a relationship in which someone doesn't talk spiritual and won't go to the meeting and so forth? You start with the premise that you're participating in whatever's going on. If you can simply get to the point in which you say there is no problem, the problem is solved. Whether the situation looks any different, the problem is solved. If you can say deep within your heart, there is no problem, I will continue my walk toward God. But what if there does seem to be a problem? What if your ego has gotten caught up in it? Then you pip awa. You pause in peace. And seek God's counsel, God's peaceful preference. And then you try something. And then you pause in peace again, and you try something else. Any battle can be walked around. Have you noticed how possibly you and other people, certainly I do, when I meet a stranger at a party, social occasion, when I meet someone, how I will agree with things that I don't agree with, just in order to, to, to form some sense of union, some sort of, of uh, joining there, talk about subjects that I wouldn't think I would be interested in talking about, nod my head very vigorously, you know, everything I said. That isn't so difficult to do, is it? We do it with a total stranger at a party. Can't we do that with the person we live with? 
Can't we walk around the battle, the issue? Do we have to say, I don't agree with that? We don't have to do that. No one's walk is the same. So those of you who think you're in a relationship with someone who is not on the same path that you are on, which I guarantee you is a misperception. Those of you who find yourself in a relationship like that, let me tell you about those of us who have spiritual partners. I couldn't be any more blessed than I am with Gail. But Gail and I don't pray at exactly, we don't begin our prayer exactly the same second. We don't use exactly the same words when we pray. The prayer doesn't end at exactly the same time. We don't pick up our particular teaching aid, which is, of course, in miracles, and read exactly the page, same pages as the, tech, as the seconds take off. No two people walk exactly the same way. But we can get to the point where we will allow people to walk in their way just as we allow a child to do that. It can be done. So how do we form a, a great love relationship? I'd like to give you some suggestions on that. Some things have been helpful to me. Now, once again, these may not be helpful to you. These are specifics. If they help, try them. If they don't help, try something else. I just want to tell you what Gail and I have found to be helpful because we very deeply want to form a holy relationship and work harder at that than anything else that we do. And the dividends are very, very great. The peace and the strength that flows from these efforts is enormous. So let me tell you some things that we found to be helpful. The first one is, don't hurt each other. Now this is, now I'm assuming a different circumstance. In the first circumstance, it doesn't appear that you have the cooperation of this person. You can't get this person to sit down and talk about anything that you think means a great deal to you. But it's only the ego that talks truth. Only the ego sits down and talks spiritual. Truth has nothing to do with words. It has to do with peace and gentleness. So often, if the heart is filled with gentleness, there will be words of truth. But there can be words of truth without any gentleness or peace in the heart. And that does not make someone further along. An individual can know great truth. They can talk endlessly about truth. And yet be stalled in their walk toward God. So because your partner doesn't talk truth doesn't mean that you don't have a wonderful partner to walk to God with. But now let's assume that you have someone that you can talk to. And you can say to this person, I don't want a special relationship. I want a holy relationship. I don't want something that's temporary. I want to walk home to God with you. I want you to give me your strength and I want to give you my strength. And I want to, us to bless each other. And I want our relationship to be like a little heater of peace that just throws peace out. And I don't want people to feel weird around us. I don't want them to think that we're holy 
are peculiar, but I want people to feel relaxed. I want them to feel relaxed in our home. I want to help in what's happening in the world at this time, because surely it is happening now. Everyone predicted it would happen now, and there's no question it's happening now. The children of God have started walking back home. And look at all the thousands of ways that they are using to do this. I want to be a part of that, you say to your partner. And your partner says, yes, I want to be a part of that. And so now the question is, how can you help each other? Rule number one, don't hurt each other as best you can. Don't hurt the other one. Don't make the other one feel guilty. Don't call the other person short. Don't be a foil to the other person. We've talked about what we sometimes do in social situations in which there's been some anger building or resentment building, and now we're in a social situation, and we will use humor as a foil for our partner. We'll use humor to show the difference between us and our partner. Comes as, as wittiness and so forth. But look at the sort of tight smile that the partner has when this kind of joking is going on. Of course they've got to laugh because everybody agrees this is a wonderful thing to be kidded and murdered at the same time, you see. <laughs> so we tightly smile and try to think this is just wonderful. But we're crying on the inside. Why? Because behind that kind of humor is a desire to show a separation, an aloofness. I'm not attached to my partner. I'm free. Free bird. I can go anywhere I want, you see. This person has nothing over me, and my humor shows everybody that. There's a humor that makes everyone relax and feel included and warm and sort of bubble up from the inside. So, don't hurt each other. Don't question the other person's needs. All needs are foolish. All emotions that don't come from simple peace are silly. We don't have to ask someone, why do they feel that? Why are you depressed? Why are you tired? You slept nine hours. Why are you tired? <laughs> why are you jealous? My, my, my blouse was buttoned down to, was unbuttoned down to here yesterday. I have buttoned this button. Why are you now jealous? Can't question other people. It's, it's, there's no logic behind it. There's no reasonableness behind it. And so we don't question it. We just see that the person has this need at this time. Now, what are we going to do about it? Make them feel guilty about it? Ask them to justify it. Do they really know why they have this need? Whatever the need is, do they know? It comes from a thousand reasons. How many years can we spend on a couch in a psychiatrist's office going over all the reasons behind it? Is there any limit to it? Why get into that? Unless you're going to a psychiatrist whose purpose is to help you. But why get into that with your mate? and ask your mate to somehow tell you why they feel scared, lonely, depressed, irritated, whatever it may be. Second thing may be helpful. Total transparency. Absolute openness. Be a plate glass building. Nothing but glass. 
nothing hidden whatsoever. There's no attack in that. Attack singles out something and pushes it. Openness is a relaxation. Don't hide anything. Yes, that's scary. It's very scary to do that. But notice it's not as scary as doing it. It's not as scary as hiding the stuff and trying to make little white lies to, to, to keep some pretense going. Notice the relief that actually comes when you are totally transparent around this one you love. Sit down and, and explain your ego position. Don't justify it. Explain it. Describe it. Tell it. Tell it in all the detail you want, but do not justify it. Just say, here's the way I feel in, certain, in a certain situation. I don't know why I feel that way, but help me with this. Please help me with this. Um, here, you, here, we're in, here you're, the couple's in a social situation. One person suddenly starts feeling jealous. Let's say it's a man. He goes to his wife. He says, uh, I'm feeling very jealous. And maybe his wife says, well, it's your problem. I don't, I don't, I'm not doing anything. It's your problem. That's not the way to form a holy relationship. You go to your, to your spouse and you say, I need your help. I'm feeling very bad in this situation. Will you withdraw with me? And you're the spouse. And you say yes. You don't say why. Don't say why. You must trust. You must trust. You've got to begin by trusting. Don't say, well, this is a foolish way to feel. I have no part of it. Now the person, how can the person, now the person's all by themselves. Now they have to go off and feel jealous all by themselves. They can't have anybody to help them. The person that they're supposed to walk home to God with has just deserted them. Don't desert your partner because your partner's needs seem foolish. Their feelings seem out of place. We have to begin by accepting our partner as he or she is. Third rule. It's so great to have numbers. <clears throat> the other person's happiness first. We've already talked about that. It's so simple. Before you begin anything, before you begin anything, ask yourself, is my partner happy? If your partner is not happy, don't do it. That means putting your partner's happiness first. You've got to get to bed. You don't have to get up early. Is your partner happy? Don't go to bed if your partner's not happy. <laughs> At least make an effort. See what you can do. That will give you far more rest than 20 minutes more sleep. That's putting your partner's happiness first. Now here are some things that Gail and I found to be helpful. And I don't necessarily suggest this. But you might want to try it. We find it very helpful to pray together. When we get up in the morning, if we... If we both wake up at the same time or if we're both gotten about the same amount of sleep, we will wake the other person up, sit up in bed, and we'll pray right there. We don't even get out of bed. We find that just to get out of bed 
we've already walked into the ego a little bit. So we just sit up there in bed, hold hands perhaps, and pray together. Start our day together. And then we usually try to have one of those breaks sometime during the day. And then we try to have another one before we go to bed. In fact, we almost always have one before we go to bed. And I oftentimes find it helpful to pray we rather than I. Now, this can become a battle. This isn't necessary. If you don't find this comfortable to do this, you don't have to. I pray for our peace. And I can tell you there is all the difference in the world and joining with someone in prayer than doing it by yourself. You'll quickly see the difference. Hasn't that been said? Where two or three are gathered together? Hasn't everyone said that? The ark of peace is entered two by two, says A Course in Miracles. The ark of peace. Now another thing that we find to be very helpful is to go into and out of the world together. I've mentioned this concept before, but not in connection with a great love relationship. So, notice that the day is has proceeds in chunks. There, there are little events that seem to have a beginning and an ending. It's quite interesting to notice that the day, in fact, is almost always composed. You came to the dispensable church, the thing will be over. You will leave. That's the ending of something. Now, before you go have your lunch, there's a little something there, a little cusp or something, you see. Now, if you will pause, if you will go in and out of the events of the world together, then all, these, all this stuff that we make so important begins to dim. And it's so great to have someone who sees it dim with you. So if you have someone that you can sit down at this point and talk about this kind of thing, you might want to try that. If there is any stress, any sense of duty about this suggestion that I've just made, don't try it. Because stress has nothing to do with walking toward God. Now you have this place of peace. This place of peace that you step back into with your partner or by yourself. If you don't have a partner, by yourself. This place of God, this holy place, it doesn't require a room or a posture. It requires a willingness to see that now the time has come to step back from the world. Now you go back into the event. You begin the next event. Then there'll be this little break and you step back from the event. And if you can step back with your partner, then that's great. Okay, I want to end with talking about two special problems. One is jealousy and the other one is sexual <coughs> incompatibility. You see, we ha everything that I've discussed is on this page. Over here is sexual incompatibility. Right? <laughs> But fortunately, we're running out of time quickly. And <laughs> <laughs> no. 
Jealousy is one of the most terrible emotions that the ego has come up with. There's nothing that tortures people more. I, I, I bet everyone here has, at least sometime in their life, felt this awful, awful feeling of being jealous. Why is it so awful? We cannot trust the one we love. We cannot trust the one we love. What a terrible feeling that is. We love this person more than anyone else and we can't trust them. What a terrible feeling. Is this natural? Does God ordain this? Is this the way the universe operates? This isn't part of normalcy. This is the first thing we have to understand. And that is, the way these things are set up is not some huge superstructure that imposes it. Seeing that, we know there's a way to walk beyond this. It is not bolstered in truth. It is not upheld by the will of God that we have to distrust the person we love. So do not think you have to remain jealous. Do not think your partner has to remain jealous. That is the starting point. And then the act of faith. I am participating in this. That is not clear. But it is a fact. Her clothes are too revealing. I don't like men looking at her. Now, it looks as if the person whose clothes are too revealing is not participating in this. And on a conscious level, they may not be. But unconsciously, we know the distress. And we're either choosing to relieve the distress of our partner or we're not. Whenever I'm with him in a restaurant, he makes eye contact with other women. But he explains this. You know, this is very innocent. Uh, girl watching is an American tradition. So if I don't mean anything by it, when I stop looking, I'll be dead. Have you heard that one? Okay. But it, it causes a feeling of distrust. Now, it may be very difficult for a man to stop doing this. It may be very difficult for a woman to stop dressing in a way that distresses her partner. So what do you do? The two people get together. If you can, you get together and help each other on this and say, oh, this is the way I feel. How can we go beyond this? But you will not do that if you don't believe that you participate in it. Whatever the problem in your relationship, whether your partner's on a spiritual path or not, you are participating in whatever disturbs both of you, no matter what way it disturbs you. So one person gets very uh, silent, says, I don't want to argue. Another person wants to talk it over. That there's still, if there's any distress, then both people are participating. What do you do during an attack of jealousy? Here's a couple of suggestions. If you can simply turn to peace, then that is sufficient. 
and any problem, if you can turn to peace, that is sufficient. Do not try to convince yourself that the person doesn't mean it when they make eye contact. That the person doesn't mean it when they appear to be dressing in a way that's more revealing, perhaps. Why? Because that's self-deceit. You don't really believe that. You will not heal the problem by going about it that way. You do believe it has meaning. Don't worry about that, but see what you can do to move beyond it. And then withdraw from the situation that's making you jealous. And if you can get your partner to withdraw with you, that's all the better. So first, try to turn to peace right there on the spot. If you can't do that, withdraw from the situation. Do not try to get rid of the sensation of jealousy. Notice that it has a particular feeling. It feels the same way in your gut. Or your neck gets very tense, or you get a headache or something. Leave that alone. Let the change be mental. Let the change be a relaxing of the mind. Let the change be a stepping back. Let the change be some simple words of truth you tell to your mind just as you would tell to a child who's had a nightmare. Or you walk in a child's room and the child is screaming bloody murder and, and there's a monster over there, there's a monster over there. What do you do? You turn on the light and say, there's no monster there. Say that to your mind as if your mind were a child. God does not will that I be jealous. There is a way of moving beyond that. I am willing to take a small step now. Because I promise you the ego will tell you that you've got to overcome jealousy right now and totally and perfectly. And of course that just spells dis uh, discouragement. No one can do that. Or it's very rare that anyone can do that. So you just want to make a little improvement now. When the next jealousy attack comes, you'll try to take another gentle step. Sexual incompatibility. All right. Sex has been taken out of context. This is clear, isn't it? This is one of the major problems in relationships today. And the reason is sex has been taken out of context. It is now our right to be gratified. Every talk show, every expert, every book tells us this is your right to be gratified. Where is the permanence and the peace and the love and the joining if we think that sex is purely some sort of bodily gratification, period? It's not that it can't accompany it, but if we think that's all there is to it, then look at the position that puts us in then everybody is a machine. We look at every person as if they're a vibrator. <laughs> and that's all they are. 
and some vibrators work better than others. <laughs> now, the way this problem is set up is the way all problems are set up by the ego. In a relationship, one person takes a stand on their ego position. They say, my position is right. Of course it's not right. No position is right. God is everywhere. If we position ourselves, we are wrong. But we don't think that. We can't see it any other way. We're right. And we say to our partner, you come over to my stand. And our partner takes another stand. And our partner says, you come over to my stand. And so the thing goes on for years and years and years and years. This is why openness and honesty can be so important. Now, before you go into your little honesty session, your openness session with your partner, it might help if you would use a little active imagination. If you haven't done this, if this is not a habit in your relationship at the moment, you might want to, before you begin this, the first number of times, go over the whole little encounter that's going to take place in which everybody's going to be honest with each other and go through it in peace and see it happening in peace and notice that it's very unlikely that your partner will not at least at some time during this talk use the occasion to attack you and to ventilate a little justified anger. This is to be expected. It doesn't mean that the whole thing was a failure because that happens. But if you will imagine it beforehand, see your partner getting a little upset because suddenly this very sore subject has been open. And he or she has a lot to say about it. Let him say it. If you will not immediately defend yourself, then the anger will be out there and you can take each other's hand and walk beyond it. So the way the ego's got this thing set up is that we can be attracted to some people but not love them. And we can love some people but not be sexually attracted to them. Is this indeed the way the universe is set up? Is this natural? Is this the law of God? Must you endure this? Certainly not. Who said it had to be that way? We don't have to accept these crazy, crazy laws. Attracted to one person but love another. Like to sleep with one person but want to marry this other person who we can't stand in bed. I come every place else but not in bed. It doesn't have to be that way. But what happens is that because there's all this verbiage on gratification as our right, the ego then centers on something that it does not like about the partner. The partner is no longer the perfect vibrator. And so what, is it, what does it center on? Well, my partner has uh, too much hair. Isn't that silly? Too much hair? <laughs> They're too hairy. They're too hairy. Um, they have cellulite. I just can't sleep with anybody who has cellulite. <laughs> so silly, isn't it? And then the major ones, my partner's not new enough, young enough, mysterious enough. And so 
of course, this is what we have to do if we accept that that's all sex is, is just some form of personal gratification, period. Of course we can be gratified. But if that's all it is, look what the position we put ourselves in. We always have to have someone new. Uh, every, now, do we really want to start all over with someone else and watch our partner grow old again and get to the same point where our partner's now old and now there's this intolerance about that? There are a thousand turnoffs, but look at how silly they are. I now know everything my partner's going to do in bed, every turn that they'll make, every... I'll know exactly when my partner's going to gasp. Everything I know. <laughs> Do you really want to start over with someone else until you've learned their technique and now it's boring? You see, there's no end to it. If we accept that premise, I can only have sex if it's new, if it's exciting, if it's... Uh, no, no, no. If we accept that, you see the treadmill we've placed ourselves on? It is not necessary to do that. Any revulsion can be gone beyond. Who in this room has not picked up a little baby covered with shit? This innocent little thing, you've got to change its diapers. The purity is untouched. Notice, the purity is untouched by this little baby. You change its diapers, you don't think anything about it. But we translate that same thing to, a, into a, 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 to our partner. Our partner, we don't like the smell of our partner. Now, the smell is nothing like the smell of the baby. But somehow, it's our right to have a fragrant partner at all times, do you see? Isn't that silly? If we can see beyond it in one situation, we can see beyond it in another. It's just a decision. Do we wish to move on? Do we wish to love this person? Do we wish to make of sex a gift? Everything in this life is a gift. Sex has been taken out of a context. It's now our right. Turn it back into a gift. And it will make your life sing. Now, revulsions can become very deep-seated. A sexual problem can take on a life of its own. It can go on for years and years and years, and the people can feel hopeless. If you will just take a small step, and then another small step, and then another small step, you can get past any revulsion, any turnoff. And there's so many good books now on that subject that suggest things like, well, just start off with a simple stroking, just with gentleness, with just that. Don't try to do it all at once. There's so many good institutes now where you can actually go and they will train you to go beyond all this silly stuff the ego does. There are good counselors. There are also some quacks. But see if the counselor makes you peaceful. That's the, if the counselor makes you peaceful, do what the counselor says. If you don't do what the counselor says, you do not want to go beyond the problem. 
say to yourself, do I think this person is sincere and can they bring me peace? If so, then simply follow the instructions. Here comes a little teacher of God through the door. Now, you see, that little teacher of God, you had the opportunity to take home with you. Richie? Give me Richie. Okay. I'd like to end with uh, the vows. You know, uh, you heard the, I'm sure most of you heard the story when, uh, how I became a minister. And uh, so we had our first uh, wedding last night. How many of you all know Dolores? Dolores and Randy got married last night. And um, so we now have some vows. And let me end the service with telling you the vows. Maybe you can close your eyes and think of your partner. Think of your close friend. Think of whoever it is that you know you're walking to, walk to God with. You're walking to God with someone right now. This relationship may be layered over with all kinds of resentments and ego battles, but you're walking home to God with someone right now. They may not be your spouse, but there's someone in your life who's never going to leave you right now. Just think of that person easily. Don't get into an argument about this. Just take the person in your mind. And say to them. I promise not to question your needs. I promise to seek your peace. I promise to put your happiness first. For in giving will I receive. And in helping you awake, will I awake. I love you. I bless you. I want to walk home to God with you. <laughs>